This evening, as we turn to the reading of Scripture, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. This is the story of um, Zechariah and Elizabeth and the promise of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering in his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray now for God's help to understand his word. Lord, we are coming to hear from your word, and we know that your word is truth because you have spoken it. And Lord, we know that your word is useful for us. It is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. So that we who are those who are serving you, the men of God, men and women of God, may be fully equipped for every good work that you have called us to. We pray this in faith, that you would do that work because you have called us to yourself And you have set before us many things to believe and to do. And we pray that you be faithful to your promises now. In Jesus' name, amen. This evening we're starting a new sermon series in the book of 1 Samuel. We'll be looking 
together this evening at 1 Samuel chapter 1. Just before we read that passage, I'll briefly introduce the book and the sermon series. Um, You know, in my Bible, there's Ruth on one page and there's 1 Samuel right on the next page. Um, That's not why I picked this book, because it came right after Ruth. Um, But knowing that the book of 1 Samuel is around the same time as the book of Ruth provides helpful context as we look at the book. As we saw in the book of Ruth, this was the time of the judges. This was not a good time in Israel's history, and that is because of Israel's repeated sins. That makes us aware that when we read 1 Samuel, we will see many deep sins. We'll see the sins of the spiritual leaders of Israel, Eli and his sons. We'll see the sins of the political leaders of Saul and those who serve him. And we'll actually see the sin of the people of Israel themselves when they demand a king and reject God. So the book of Samuel is full of sin. But at the same time, 1 Samuel teaches us about God's grace because this book is about how God provides for his people in the middle of their sin. God provides a godly spiritual leader. He provides them with the prophet Samuel. And God provides a godly political leader in King David. And even as Israel reaps the effects of their sin, and they really do. The book ends with Saul dead and Israel defeated. Why? Because they've turned away from God. Even as God works that hard discipline for sin in the lives of his people, he's also at work to provide for them. He provides Israel with a godly future and security through David. 1 Samuel then is really about how God provides for his sinful people in ways that they in the Old Testament and we now, we don't deserve. But God does this because he's promised to do this. And time and time again, he keeps his promises and provides for his people. And really that points us to Jesus. This book is pointing us to Jesus and how God provides for us a perfect prophet a perfect priest and a perfect king. And through Christ, then we have a certain hope and a sure future. So with all that in mind, let's look together now at 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to read the entire chapter together. There was a certain man, Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? 
And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him only. May the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I have made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. we look at this passage together, this whole chapter, really what we see here is that God provides his servant to his people through their prayers. God's at work and he's providing a servant, his own servant, to serve his people. And he does that work through the prayers of his people. We're going to walk through the passage together tonight as we see God's work of doing that. In verses 1 through 2, we meet Elkanah and his two wives, Penina and Hannah. And the author draws our attention to the problem in the family right away. Hannah had no children. And not being able to have children is devastating today. Struggles with infertility can be exhausting, expensive. They're emotionally and spiritually draining. And so often there's also that unspoken judgment by others. 
At the time of Hannah, there was almost all of that, and actually even more. Think about the importance of children for someone in the Old Testament. Being able to have children was one of the blessings of the covenant that God made with his people. Look at his blessings in Deuteronomy 28. And there was also the hope of descendants. Remember the case of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Sons would be the ones to care for you when you became old. And more than that, they would carry on the family name and keep the family inheritance. Descendants, sons, were living testaments to God's covenant faithfulness with his people. Hannah knew those things, and she had no children. All of this was all too real to Hannah. And we read in verse 6 that Penina made it worse. What did she do? She used to provoke Hannah grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. That statement there reveals the real root of the problem, but also the potential solution. Did you notice why Hannah couldn't have children? There may have been medical issues. There may be reasons like that. But the root cause is because the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord in his wisdom had withheld children from Hannah. But because it was the Lord who did that, because that was the case, Hannah can pray now. Hannah can pray to the Lord for help. Because just as surely as God can close the womb, he can open it at the time and in the way that he desires. So even as this story opens in despair, there is also hope. Hannah is not the first woman in the Bible in this situation. Been reading through Genesis recently. Do you remember Sarah? Do you remember how old she was? She was barren until she was age 90. That's a long time to wait. Or what about Rebecca, her daughter-in-law? She was barren for 20 years. What about also around the time of the judges? What about Samson's mother? She was barren as well. Now, the point I'm making is not to say that everyone who has struggled with conceiving or caring children should expect expect God to act in the same way as we've seen these women. There were many barren women in Israel who never got their names recorded in Scripture. But as we look at Hannah, and as we look at these other women whose names are recorded in Scripture, there is a pattern that we need to pay attention to. In each case, God's work was clear. God gave each of these women, and Hannah as well, a special son. A special son for his people. God gave Sarah Isaac, the child of the promise. God gave Rebekah Jacob the father of all the Israelites. And God gave Samson's mother, Samson, Israel's greatest judge. Each of these sons served a special purpose in God's plan for his people. And God goes out of his way to show that. He shows that he's the one doing this. When God grants these special sons in this powerful way, It is is a way that God shows his power because only God can work a miracle like that to bring a child from a barren woman. When God does this, he is teaching his people that he is the source of their salvation. But that means when we reach Samuel 1, 1 Samuel 1, and we read about Hannah's situation in the context of what God has already done for his people, 
we should expect that this child Samuel that God provides will serve God and his people in a special way. That truth, though, should not sugarcoat Hannah's suffering. She didn't know God's greater plan. And the barrenness and the bullying continued year after year. And do you see what actually makes the situation worse? Year after year, the worst experiences she had were while the family worshipped God. Look at verse 7. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. A time that was meant to be rejoicing, a time of joy for God's work, became a time for weeping year after year. We see Hannah's suffering so clearly in these verses as she waits for God to give her a son. But there's something else that stands out very clearly even in this terrible and desperate situation. We see faithfulness. We see a family and a woman who are committed to serve the Lord. Look at the faithfulness of Elkanah, Hannah, and the rest of the family. Verse 3, it's one of the first things that is said. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. That is not a throwaway fact. Eli brings his family to worship God in obedience to God's command. And Elkanah did this in a time period where many of the people around him were doing what was right in their own eyes. We'll actually see in chapter 2 that even the priests who are mentioned here, Hophni and Phinehas, were extremely sinful. So we are meant to notice this family's faithfulness. This family stands out in their worship and service to God. But the author goes on to highlight the great faith of Hannah herself, because one year, Hannah decides to take her problem to God in prayer in his presence. Verses 10 to 11, she was deeply distressed, and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Hannah's prayer of faith is remarkable because she trusts God. She trusts God that he is the one who will be able to help. But her prayer is even more remarkable because she makes a very costly vow. She promises God that if he gives her a son, she will give this son back to him forever. There's no qualification there. Forever he will serve God. This is a costly vow for her. What she wants most in life She is willing to give back to God in thankfulness. That is a great act of faith. It's costly for Hannah, and it's also costly for her son. She is dedicating this son, Samuel, to lifelong service to God. Even the Levites, 
People who would have served alongside Samuel in the temple. Even Levites only serve for part of their lives. Samuel is promised forever. And he's also going to be serving God in a very special way. Did you notice that comment about not cutting his hair? What does that mean? Well, this is the vow of a Nazarite. This child, Samuel, will be a Nazarite. You can look at number six. Being a Nazarite meant you were visibly dedicated to serving God. Everybody would look at you and know you are a special servant of the Lord. So you think about this vow that Hannah takes. For those of us with children, think about what Hannah's vow means. You and I know the love we have for our children. Think about the sacrifice that she's making here. Hannah will get to see her son Samuel once a year at most for the rest of her life. You know, some people also, I've heard of some people praying for God to use their children in ministry, maybe praying that their son would be a pastor or something like that. Hannah's prayer, though, is even further. It's actually more like the mothers who prayed that God would use their children as missionaries, knowing that if God answered that prayer, their children wouldn't come home again. That's the closest that we know in recent history to Hannah's prayer. She is praying. She is vowing a complete dedication to God at great personal cost. Why does Hannah make this costly vow? Well, she's not trying to twist God's arm, right? Not, okay, God, I'll sacrifice for you so then you can give me what I want. That's, that's not how vows work. If that's her attitude, that's wrong. That's viewing God as someone who's indebted to her. But there is a place for vows. There's a place for vows in Hannah's life and ours. A vow is, it can be a valid part of asking God for what we want. And a vow like this shows how seriously we desire God's help. Sir, we should only take a vow with great care, and what we have vowed, we need to pay. God is clear about that. Look at Deuteronomy. But a vow shows just how much we recognize that we need God's help. He is the only one who is able to do what we are asking. A vow like that takes great faith. So we see Hannah's faith then as she prays fervently and as she makes this very costly vow. But we're meant to see even more beyond Hannah. We're meant to see more about God and his people here in this passage. Notice how much God's covenant shapes the story that we read about. Simple thing to notice. What is God's name in this passage? Over and over and over again, you hear it. The Lord or the Lord of hosts. He is either, this is either the covenant name of God, the Lord, the one who is I am, the one who loves his people and will not let them go. Or he is the Lord of hosts. He is the one who loves them with power. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies who will do what he says. That shows the covenant that is underlying this passage. Then there's also the language of God's covenant relationship all the way through here. Hannah prays specifically that God would look on her and remember her. And he does. And the Lord remembered her. That is the language of the covenant. 
That reminds me of God's love for his people in other places in Scripture. Think about God and the people in the book of Exodus. God says, as he talks to Moses, he says, I have seen, I have looked at the affliction of my people. And just before that, in Exodus 2, it says that God heard their groaning and God remembered. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. The point in 1 Samuel 1 is that Hannah rests on God's covenant with his people, even for her own personal situation. But Hannah's prayer, God's response, also helps us to see the bigger picture. God's covenant with his people, this child is going to be for all of Israel. God is remembering Hannah, yes, but through Hannah, he is remembering all of his people. And as I just said, God does remember. God does answer Hannah's prayer. She conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. Samuel sounds like the Hebrew word God hears. Samuel, as he goes through life, is a living testimony that God hears and answers prayer. And when God actually answers Hannah's prayer and gives her this son, Hannah keeps her vow. And she brings little Samuel, just a few years old, she brings him to Shiloh to worship and serve the Lord. As we see God answering prayer here, don't miss the beauty and the power of answered prayer. God really does hear us when we pray, even when we pray for something that seems impossible Hannah prays for something beyond what she can really see coming true. She can see no way to get a child unless God does the impossible. And Hannah prays for the impossible in the midst of her suffering. And God hears and answers. He hears her prayer. He sees her in her suffering. And he answers and provides what she needs. He's going to do that for us as well. He has already done that for us as well in our lives as well. He has seen us when we've asked prayers that seem so far beyond what we can do. And he he sees and he hears us when we pray in times of suffering and he answers us. So see the beauty and power of answered prayer. But don't also don't miss the beauty of publicly acknowledging God's answered prayer. Some of these verses at the end, especially verses 21 on, Hannah goes out of her way to tell others that God has answered her prayer. She goes straight up to Eli and she says, this is the son I prayed for. God heard me and answered my prayer. Hannah is bold to declare that God has answered prayer. We see this same pattern again and again in the Psalms. How many Psalms are there? This poor man cried and God answered. And then what am I going to do? Then I was in the assembly. I went to see the people of God and I stood up and I said what God had done for me. That is a biblical pattern and that should be a pattern in our life as individuals and as a church. We should delight to proclaim to one another how God has answered our prayers. God really does answer our prayers and he accomplishes great things through the things we pray. God accomplishes something very great through the prayers of Hannah. As we'll see in the next few chapters, this son Samuel is a great prophet and judge. Samuel is one of the greatest servants of God in the entire Old Testament. 
Hannah didn't know that when she prayed. She was just being faithful. God blesses Hannah's faith in ways far beyond what she could imagine. In fact, far beyond even her own family. This reminds us what we saw previously in the book of Ruth as we looked at Ruth and Boaz. God blessed their family, their faithfulness also in unimaginable ways. Just want to remind you, we do not know the impact of our prayers and our faithfulness. That's true, there's not going to be another Samuel, right? But just like in the book of Ruth, we can be encouraged to pray and to serve faithfully, knowing and believing that God will work through us in powerful ways. As we come to the end of the passage here, I want to ask the question, where is Christ? Where is Christ in 1 Samuel 1? Well, earlier in the service, we read the story of Elizabeth from the New Testament. And do you see the similarities between that story of God providing for a faithful couple and God providing here for Elkanah and for Hannah? God opened Elizabeth's womb and provided an even greater prophet than Samuel. He provided his people with John the Baptist. We saw his work in the opening of the book of Mark. But there was an even greater miracle. An even greater servant was coming. A greater servant than Hannah and Samuel. A greater miracle and servant than Elizabeth and John the Baptist. We're looking at Mary and Jesus, God's own son. That's what this passage in 1 Samuel is pointing us to. We're being pointed to the birth and service of Jesus Christ. Think about how much more miraculous... And how much more powerful the service of Jesus Christ really is. Mary didn't even have a husband. She didn't even have an opportunity to have children. But she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. She conceived and gave birth to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God was faithful to his covenant. And after sending servant after servant like Samuel and John the Baptist... He went even further by sending his very own son. He sent his son, who is even greater than Samuel, to do a greater work than Samuel ever could. Remember, Samuel was dedicated to serve God. How much more did Jesus serve God? What does he say that his mission, his food and drink, was to do the will of his father, even to the point of death on the cross? Samuel, who we're going to see more of, he was just a prophet. He was speaking God's word and trying to lead a rebellious people back to God. Jesus was the prophet. He was the one who came to speak God's words with power and to give his life to actually be successful, to redeem a rebellious people and to bring them back to God. We see here a faithful servant that God provides, but he points us forward to Jesus, the faithful servant that our faithful God provided to meet all of our needs. So give thanks as we think about this passage. Go home and give thanks for God's gift of Samuel for his people at this time, but even more, even more give thanks for God's greater gift of Jesus God has provided us, his people, with the Savior, the prophet, the priest, and the king that we need. Amen.
Let's pray together. 